Hello and welcome to Journal Sessions on the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. Journal Sessions is a weekly podcast that features a look inside Pastor Bob's journal on the things that he is thinking deeply and praying deeply about, among some stories along his journey. And on this episode of Journal Sessions on the Bold Love Podcast, Pastor Bob talks about how to survive being a pastor in this day and age and keys to surviving church leadership. Take a look. I remember one time at Fuller Seminary, I was with John Maxwell, and we were eating lunch together. I just heard him speak about all these incredible concepts about how to lead and what leadership was like and how to grow the church, and I was on fire. And so we were eating lunch, and I said, the only thing about all this is it's as if you can grow a church without God. I said, Bob, you're exactly right, and that's the challenge. We're living in a time where you can no longer grow a church without God. You could do the right things, make sure you got the right preacher, the right music, all of that. It was possible, and it will still be possible for those within Christianity that are moving for more churches that are more like what they want. But that's not the time that we find ourselves in now. That's not the moment. There's so many young men and women that are starting churches today that I really feel bad for them. Much of what they get is stuff that's been written in the last 40 or 50 years. And a lot of it is really good stuff. But a lot of it's not. When you go to the big church planting conferences, they know a lot of the really good stuff but that's not necessarily always what's highlighted. And so it becomes a repetition more of the past and who has a name that can draw people versus who is practicing what the church is going to look like that's going to take it into the future. I feel bad for young pastors starting in their first church. They're bombarded by tradition, the history in the local church, a contemporary and innovative church. And most times when you say contemporary and innovative, you're really talking about worship. That's about it. There's so much more to the church. And what a phenomenal time to get to be a pastor. Contrary to what everybody is telling you, this is a moment and an exciting moment because it's a rebuilding moment. I can't think of anywhere in the Bible a young pastor ought to be focused on more than First and Second Timothy and Titus. I mean, those books are everything. I mean, just listen to this. I'm going to just read some stuff that we've been called in First Timothy 1 to advance the plan of God. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. We've been entrusted with the glorious gospel. All of these things come into play. It talks about how that we've been sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. And it's the whole idea. This is what we're sharing with others. And so we stay away from worthless stories. We discipline ourselves. We show ourselves an example. I mean, this is rich. And then he describes what's necessary. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then you turn on and it it talks about how he said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed 
accurately handling the word of truth. And then that famous passage, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. And he lists all of these things beyond preaching he's supposed to do. And then he says, the goal should be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. So how do we do that? Let me give you 10 things you're not going to hear a whole lot about, but 10 things that you will not ignore if you're going to plant a church or lead a church in an effective way today. Number one, a strong, consistent prayer life. That's everything. How in the world can you hear from God in this moment of transition in world history and American history, in this moment of polarization? You're going to have to read what's going on, the context, the culture, the city, the church. How can you do that without the presence of the Holy Spirit? How can you follow the Holy Spirit if you're not on your knees in prayer? And I don't mean every once in a while to get a word from God. I mean every day. Hey, people, you need a word from God every day and words throughout the day. You cannot cheat on prayer anymore. Not in this moment. Jesus is taking his church back. It's critical that you learn to be quiet before God and that you pray. I, I used to be amazed at how many young pastors, prayer was not a strong discipline in their life. They struggled as much with a quiet time, I hate that phrase, with a quiet time as most of their members did. Let, let me tell you something. It is critical that you make the time to spend uninterrupted time before God because you're leading a congregation. You've got to hear from God. It's not something nice to do to keep you close to God. How can you lead his church if you can't hear his voice? You've got to spend time with God, not just the books and the conferences and the seminars, this is not a moment of mimicking, of reproducing models. This is a moment of following the Spirit, of hearing God. You've got to pray. I remember I was with a group of pastors, very prominent pastors, and I was in my 30s, and I asked one of them, I said, so talk to me about your prayer life. His response was, oh, Bob, you ought to pray. But, you know, I've discovered if you look at effectiveness of churches, it has nothing to do. I know pastors who pray a lot, pastors who pray a little. I know some pastors who pray a lot and they have really little churches, some who pray little and have big churches. It doesn't matter. He was so wrong. Oh, I believed him. I was the young guy listening to an older guy who'd grown a big church. I, I shouldn't have listened to that. Hey, hey, this isn't on my list of 10, but if you pray, You'll listen to the Holy Spirit more than you will anybody else. And there are so many things that you're going to get from people ahead of you that are not right. I assumed everybody at a big church prayed more, worked harder. Man, was I wrong. I assumed churches were big because people were closer to God. Man, was I wrong. There are so many things that you're going to hear. How are you going to hear God's voice if you don't take time to get quiet and let him speak, and prayer is not praying your list. It's worship. It's interaction. It's thinking about what's taking place. And then 
hey, hey, while we're talking about prayer, I would never start a church or lead a church without core times of prayer built into it. The worship season I felt best about Northwood when I led was we had a prayer time right in the middle of the service. And I didn't get up and talk for five minutes about prayer. We had the prayer partners come forward and come on. What's going on in your life? A joy, a depression, a success, a failure. It doesn't matter. Let's spend time in prayer. Prayer's got to be the core of that church. Prayer needs to be modeled in your life. Prayer needs to be modeled in every ministry of that church. Prayer needs to be modeled in Sunday morning worship. Do you know where I saw that? I know some people are going to throw stones at me for this. Joel Osteen. I went to his church one Sunday. I know y'all don't freak out on me. Take a, take a break. But right in the middle of their service, that all these prayer partners come forward, and they just start praying for people for about 20 minutes. And I thought, wow. I came back and I started doing it. Guys, God showed up. People are coming to church because they're hurting. And, and they everyone wants a word from God. The best word is not your sermon or that song. It's God. And man, when you get quiet, give opportunity for people to come. Stop preaching while they're praying. Be quiet. Just, just let God move. So if you're going to survive in this era, it, it won't happen without, number one, a strong, consistent prayer life. Here's the second thing. You're going to have to learn to think critically. Think critically. See, most of us as pastors, we've been taught to adopt a model, do a program. And we, we've taken thinking out of the ministry. The most thinking we do is how we arrange a sermon. God called you to lead a church. You've got to think. You know, there was a time when the pastor was the sharpest person in the community. He had to be. He was the most educated. He knew about farming. He knew a little bit about medicine. I mean, the idea was that all knowledge came from God. But do you know how to think? In the early days of my ministry, I would, my first question was, how many? I mean, that was my question. That was a question of success. How many showed up? How big was the offering? And, and then I got to the question about how. Now, how do I do that? Instead of just buzz, how do I build systems and processes? I'm sorry to say the last question I asked was the most important question. Why? Why do we do this? And who am I doing it for? Man, there's the question. And that's really the first question. I remember discovering that question in the 90s. When I asked the question, why? Why do we do church the way that we do it? It led me to the question, who do we do it for? And I realized we really don't do it for people. We do it for God. And if we're doing it for God, then why are we doing it? Now, to share the gospel so people can know Christ, to make disciples so that they can live a fruitful, victorious Christian life, to spread the gospel. Now I got things ordered properly. This is why we see so many preachers crash and burn. We're dealing with the how many and the how and the what question without first dealing with the why and the who question. Simon Sinek, I mean, many of you have read his book, The Why. It's everything. Third, you've got to have a clearly defined DNA. 
Now, why does that matter? Now, our DNA is KDSC in that order, Kingdom Disciple Society Church. Why does that matter? Because that determines how you make decisions. What do you do? How does it fit? Is this part of my identity? Is this part of the process that's going to help us live out that DNA? What is your DNA? I mean, a lot of people have vision, mission, and values without stopping to first think about that why question and that who question. They really go together. Can't separate them. When you keep those two together, it helps you define everything that you do. And there are so many people that are telling you to do church so many different ways. Mega church, traditional, contemporary, innovative, house church, small church, seeker, missional, worship. Take your pick. How do you decide how to do church when there are so many different things that are thrown at you every day? And and now being 65 and looking over at the years of ministry, I watch so many pastors jump from one model to the next in hope of, if I just do this one, then the church will grow and all my dreams will come true. No, you better have a clearly defined DNA that enables you to think so that you can make those wise decisions based on your identity, not merely on an outcome or a result. Fourth, spirituality in and beyond the worship service. I did a podcast on this briefly, so I'm not going to talk much about it. You can go listen to the podcast, but I'm telling you, people come to church for spirituality, and they are leaving the church because of spirituality. And as crazy as it sounds, lost, unchurched people are looking, longing, craving spirituality, and they came to the church to find it, and they didn't, and they've left it. We're living in one of the most spiritual times ever, just not in the church. It's with some unchurched people, highly secular people, highly, uh, how would I say, spiritual people, different religions, most of them not tied to a faith. But a few of them told me, yeah, we went to the church. It was fun, but it was more like a pep rally than a place to really connect with God. You will not be the church God wants you to be without rediscovering spirituality. Don't confuse spirituality with going in the zone, singing a song. That isn't spirituality. Spirituality goes beyond a song. It's a connection with God that's bigger than yourself that you experience, and that should be experienced together. And in worship, every single Sunday, every single ministry, every single day of the week. Fifth, engage disciples in the public square. In other words, people living out their calling in the domains of society. What I mean by domains, the infrastructure of society, the sectors of society that build it out, education, government, arts, communication, agriculture, uh, all of those, economics. And see, what most churches do is it's discipleship in classes that teach you how to do things that run you through projects versus the release of the body of Christ to do what God has called them to do 
in their domain, in their sector, versus versus just a project that you're going to do. This is everything. You know, there's a big difference in projects that you come together to do versus disciples that you raise up in society. When I think about the ministry that, that I had for many years at Northwood, the most exciting thing that would happen to me was not that we had a project that everybody joined, but that individual members started using their jobs, their, their vocations, their passions, and they started serving based on what they were gifted at. And they realized that was their ministry, and it raised them up, whether it was working with juvenile delinquents or helping people do tax returns, as crazy as that may sound for the poor. The church should bring value to the community, not because we have these four or five projects, but because everybody is engaged in their domain. That's when it grows. Six, are you ready for this? Buckle your seatbelt. You're going to have to be mentally and emotionally strong. I was talking to a secular guy who was very successful, and he was talking to me about the stresses and some of the challenges he was facing. He said, hey, Bob, I want to ask you a question. I said, sure. He said, on Twitter, and this is a young man, very successful. He said, boy, I hear about pastors and mental health. I'm hearing about it, conferences for them, retreats for them, how they're all struggling. And listen to this. He said, do they realize that we're all hurting? Let that sink in. Pastors, you're not the only ones struggling. The whole of society is hurting right now. Mental health is at an all-time epidemic high. We see it. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's the gun culture that's taking control with mental illness and the sickness that comes and the sad things we see happen because of that or abuse, whether it's spousal or child, or the polarization that we see, we're going through a time of significant mental health issues. Everybody is struggling. And so one of the things that I'm going to say to you, Paul says it again and again, suffer with me. Paul dealt with anxiety. I mean, he even there's this sense in which Paul is only doing as good as his churches are doing. It's true. He literally uses the word in two different places. I feel anxiety. He has anxiety. He is anxious about what's going on in those churches. It's normal for us to have anxiety. It's normal for us to feel weak. It's normal for us to feel tired and burn out. But we have to deal with those things. We have to rest. We have to pray daily. We have to deal with our stuff. We've got to be with the community. And guys, let me say this. I'm all for seeing a therapist. Go see a therapist. Get healthy. That's great. But there is something in the scriptures about living in community with others, with like struggles. When was the last time you thought about being a pastor's group with a group of pastors that you're weekly, weekly meeting with that you can talk about, man, I'm dealing with this and I'm dealing with that? I think in a lot of ways, one of the reasons why there's so much mental illness and mental health and challenges that we face is we've been brought up with this idea that 
that life is easy and we're supposed to be happy all the time and none of us are supposed to have problems and that's just unrealistic. We need one another and you need one another for the long haul. You don't just need someone when it's hard. If you wait for that, you're you're in trouble. You need somebody when it's good. You need somebody to walk with you. Isn't it amazing how other people can see your faults better than you see your own? We have a tendency to justify our faults. Others can see them more clearly for what they are. But when we walk together in community, they're going to see things. They're going to challenge us. They're going to call us out. This matters. This is the opportunity that we have. Seventh, you're going to have to be theologically grounded. I mean, there's so much stuff that's out there today. And your church can be driven by the Word of God and core theology, or it can be driven by sociology and activism. And sometimes those intersect, and it's actually good. And sometimes we can learn from the sociologist and the activist. But our foundation of truth is not sociology and activism. It's the Word of God, and it's solid theology that determines what we're going to do and what we believe about things. Now, I'm one of those guys who believe that women can preach and lead and everything else. I don't like the word complementarian or egalitarian. They really, I don't like the way they're too exclusive, the way they do. You're this or you're that. I don't know. I still have questions about some of that. But I believe that women can be in ministry, but not because they've been held back by patriarchy, but because the Word of God teaches it. And I would far rather call women out to preach and move in ministry because this is the Word of God versus I'm reacting to something else. I'm not saying that Patriarchy has not made things difficult for women in ministry. Don't you dare hear me saying that. What I am saying is the basis for what I believe is the Word of God. And so that's what I'm going to preach. That's what I'm going to teach. So stand up, young lady, if God has called you to preach, and preach. And be a missionary. And be a youth pastor. And do whatever else God has called you to do. The Word of God, the foundation of truth, will help you to respond to all the issues that we face, whether it's race or LGBTQ or or whatever those difficult things are. And if you've not made up your mind on some of those issues, good luck. You've got to keep an open view to keep learning. You've got to. But you've got to also know what the Scripture says. And you've got to wrestle with it. But don't just know what the Scripture says. Have relationships with people that you actually disagree with. One of the best things about working with people of other religions for me is it's given me the opportunity to be with people that I strongly disagree with and yet learn how to relate to them. And sometimes I'm telling you it's not our position as much as it is how we communicate that position. And the absence of relationships that we have with those that we disagree with. And so I think this is a time you better be theologically grounded, knowing what the Word of God teaches. And yet you better read everything out there in the culture. How do they see it? Because you're going to have to know how to respond. Eight, 
You really already heard me talk about this, and you do hear a lot about this, so I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but community in small groups. Community in small groups is everything. Uh, it's where we learn. It's where we share. It's where we serve. It's where we do life together. And so you need that. I've had that. And it's something as a pastor you have to fight for. You have to look for. Always try to have a few men in the church that you're close to. Uh, I understand that sometimes it can be challenging. Or a few ladies in the church that you're close to. Sometimes you need those outside relationships. Here's the ninth thing I would say. And I would say this, and once again, I've already given a podcast on this, and you can go back and listen to it. But you need a strong set of diverse mentors and spiritual fathers. I had a business guy who mentored me. His name was Kent Humphreys. I had a management guy who mentored me. Still does. His name is Bob Bill. I had an evangelism guy to reach the lost people who poured into my life for decades. His name was Roy Fish. I had a man who taught me how to think, Bob Buford. I had a man who spiritually taught me and mentored me as a spiritual father how to be close to God, Jim Hilton. I've got so many fathers, so many mentors, Lauren Cunningham, taught me how to think global. Leighton Ford taught me what leadership was all about. You just go down the list of all of those. I needed every one of them. Some of you think all you need is a good preaching mentor. No, you need much more than that. Management, personal issues, leadership models, spiritual fathers, ministry consultants, theological mentors, I even had diplomats and ambassadors mentor me on how to work in the world. And in addition to that, I had a Muslim prince who taught me, in a sense, mentored me how to work with people of other religions and diplomats. You are only as good as the mentors and fathers that you have around you. You may be a gifted preacher. But that will be all that you ever are if you're going to have more than a speaking ministry. If you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to lead, if you're going to be a part of that community, if you're going to be a part of the church community, a part of the secular community that you find yourself in, the global community, it's going to demand far more of you than just the pulpit. Finally, I save the best for last and the hardest for last. Here's the final thing. Most of you know visionary leadership, entrepreneurial leadership, aspirational leadership. Here's what we want to do. That's fun. But it's going to take aspirational leadership and prophetic leadership. No one talked to me about prophetic leadership. I stumbled into it. Nobody wants to do prophetic leadership. I remember a well-known pastor talking one time at a conference when I was in my 30s. He said, stay away from the controversial pulpit, whatever you do. And I'll be the first to admit it. There's some guys in ministry today, man, they're just mad at everybody, everything, bad attitudes, mean-spirited, hateful. I mean, I I follow these guys sometimes on Twitter. I follow some of these guys on Twitter that I will just go, How can you be so mean and angry? That's not prophetic leadership. That's somebody who 
their mama didn't change their diaper right or something, and they're angry. No, prophetic leadership is calling the church to repentance. Aspirational leadership will help a church grow for the moment. Prophetic leadership enables the church to grow beyond the moment. That's very important. So for years, churches were silent about race. And even now, many churches are still silent about race. Don't talk about that. If you bring it up, it's just going to get worse. Silent on other issues. You can go down the list. Listen, here's what Paul warns about. He warns about wolves, people who come in because they want to steal and devour the sheep for whatever gain they can get, money or adulation or fame. False prophets come in with twisted teaching, false things, and we ignore them. I am amazed at how much stuff in the Scripture talks about false prophets. I'm amazed in the New Testament how much Paul and Peter and all of them deal with the constant threat of false prophets. And yet in most churches, we don't talk about that. We're afraid to. We've got to talk about those things and identify them. I remember as I began to lead in a prophetic manner, whether it was building bridges to Muslims or desegregating our church, man, that's when I saw it. That's when it came out loud and clear. That's when I saw it. That's when it came out loud and clear. When we would challenge our church with some sin or something that needed to be addressed, how Christians could address it in the culture. But I also realized that if we didn't deal with the issues of race, if we didn't deal with the issues of how do we live in the public square as the majority, as evangelicals among religions in America, then we're going to have a lot more problems in the future. So we think about wolves, we think about false prophets, we think about the wisdom of the world. CNN, Fox, NBC, ABC, CBS, all of these, they're discipling your people. No, it's not the wisdom of the world. It's the Word of God. Paul makes that clear. He'd been to Athens, and he's writing the Corinthians. He talks, he differentiates between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. You think about the activist of so many different issues. You think about media, all of these things. Listen, you're going to have to teach the Word of God. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And a lot of times we think that we have evolved and the early church didn't deal with the issues that we're dealing. No, they they dealt with racism. Have you ever read Acts 6? Ever read about the story of the Gentiles and the Jews and all the challenges with that, that, that Paul had to deal with that, with that with Peter? Ever dealt with the sexual ethics? It's homosexuality that was taking place in the first century in a very significant way. And yet, how does the early church deal with those things? We can't ignore them. We can't run from them. But we don't have to be mean and hateful about them either. There ought to be something fundamentally different about how we talk about what God considers holiness and the wisdom of this age. And I don't mean prophetic issues either, just on moral issues. But think about what does it mean prophetically for the church in America now to be part of the global church? We've had a position of preeminence. 
the church around the world is exploding far more than the American church. Maybe you can say it's because of the media or a dozen different things, but you do know the church around the world sees the sickness of the American church right now. And they're shaking their head. They're praying for us. They know we're broken. But we still want to tell the rest of the world how to do it. No, we need the global church speaking to the American church so that we can be in line with what God is doing around the world. The American church does not need to be healthy so that it can make the global church stronger. The American church needs to listen to the global church so it can move to a position to health, so it can find its place in the broader global church to be a partner, to be an equal, to be one body of Christ, of all the races. That's what God's called us to do. But to do that takes prophetic leadership. Can you challenge your church? Can you speak to it of the social issues, of the moral issues, of the global issues, and what it looks like as a follower of Jesus to see that through the eyes of the kingdom, not through the eyes of our government, to see it through the eyes of the gospel and how do we live it out, not through the eyes of a broader global American agenda, but the kingdom agenda. So these are new days to pastor, to lead in the church. And yes, the management things that you learn at conferences are important. And yes, you're going to learn a lot of things that are important. And yes, you ought to do your worship with excellence. And no, you should never get in that pulpit and be sloppy. So read books on preaching and go to conferences and seminars. Do all that stuff. But you can do all that stuff. And if you don't do these 10 things, it just won't matter. Thank you so much for joining us for Journal Sessions with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. on the Bold Love Podcast. If you were impacted by this conversation, we would like to ask a favor. First, if you found this episode impactful, please share it on social media and recommend it to a friend. Second, like most podcasts, we are able to make these impactful conversations happen with support from partnering organizations and individuals like you. If you felt led to support these type of conversations, you can do so now and give at support.boldlovepodcast.com. Cast.com. Whether it's a single gift or a monthly donation, we are so thankful for you. For more information on this podcast, show notes, and any other references, you can go to boldlovepodcast.com to get all the information there. We appreciate you joining us. And remember on the Bold Love Podcast, we encourage you to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. See you next time.